everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 651 of IGN's weekly PlayStation show, where guess what? We still have so much PlayStation 5 news to talk about. It's what we've all been waiting for for so long, and we finally get to talk about it. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about this week, but before we jump in, I'm joined by Max Scoville. Hello. And Tom, I have no guest this week, Marks. That's correct. That was it. Yes, hello. Oh, wow. Tom, I have no guest this week. Wow, that's yeah. a great name. I love it. Um, yeah, you, you do what you can. My parents put the O at the end of Jonathan instead of the A for no good reason. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, for those who may be wondering, Brian is in the midst of a huge Animal Crossing charity stream right now on uh, our IGN Summer of Gaming. If you haven't been watching any of that, please tune in. There has been so much work going into all of the uh, wonderful exclusives, reveals, interviews, uh, and a lot of stuff that, uh, in particular, Max and Tom have been working on. So please go check out all of that hard work. Uh, we also, if you're wondering, Lucy is off in the land of features doing a lot right now. And we were supposed to have uh, Khalif from Spawn on Me on this week. Unfortunately, due to a scheduling snafu on my part, because I forgot how dates work, uh, the timing didn't work out this week, but we hope to have him on next week. Uh, but please go, if you haven't already, check out Spawn on Me, and we'll uh, be talking to Khalif a lot next week. Uh, but with that uh, past us, let's jump into all of the PlayStation 5 catch-up news we have, because a lot happened after the event, uh, which of course we covered on last week's show, but there's still a lot that happened. And the biggest one I want to talk about is the that Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales was a sequel then it was an expansion then it was a standalone game and uh you know just a whole lot of stuff happened in the 24 hours after the reveal so we saw that reveal during the ps5 event and then speaking to the telegraph shortly after sony's vp head of european business said quote i guess you could call it an expansion and an enhancement to the previous game there's a substantial miles morales component uh which i would hope given that he's in the game name uh he continued which is the expansion element but also within the game as well there's been major enhancements to the game and to the game engine obviously deploying some of the major playstation 5 technology and features so this led everyone to believe that hey oh uh this is seemingly just an expansion of the original game that i would guess was getting remastered and then would be on ps5 uh but then insomnia came out and officially said marvel spider-man miles morales is the next adventure in the marvel spider-man universe we will reveal more about the standalone game at a future date. Um, so it will be a proper standalone game. My guess is, based on what the VP head was saying, is that it's probably working off of the work they did on the PS4 game for the PS5 game, which I think makes sense and I don't fault them for. Uh, what did you guys think of this weird sort of unnecessary, unforced error that happened? Yeah, I think unforced error is a very good way to put it because it just feels like it is a rake that they did not need to step on, right? Like, the 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 best way I can explain it is, like, people understand what this type of game is. Players understand. They, we know Lost Legacy. We know, you know, Infamous had a similar thing. D- Dishonored Death of the Outsider for Dishonored 2. There was that. Like, this idea of a smaller game based off of an older game's kind of tech and the, the, the base of it that tells a different story is is something people are really comfortable with and like and like for some reason this interview calling it an expansion just threw this wrench into the gears that just like didn't need to be there i just don't it's so weird and i i think it's partly their fault for not really specifying anything in the the reveal event 
but like yeah it just was this like headache that nobody needed to have <laughs> yeah it's it's weird because it like I, I i guess if i get i guess it is it's gonna be nice to be like oh hey you get all of spider-man on ps5 and it's got some extra bells and whistles plus like a, a substantial extra chunk but like how do you how, that messaging is i feel like i'm i'm it, it managed to kind of actually derail some of the hype there because the mm-hmm. way they presented it was so like here's something new here's something big and huge but like i mean even even lost legacy was uh i mean they opened up like a psx with that right like that was that was a big huge kind of opening thing it, it, it I, I guess i'm just based on what we've seen of of you know spider-man's dlc i just i'm i'm now like almost skeptical about how how big this is going to be or like what we should what, what we should be expecting um it's just like yeah it's it's odd um um so the the lost legacy comparison is really apt because uh J- jason trier reported that he had heard from sources that it is essentially a standalone game similar in scope to lost legacy and yeah my my guess is you know, we're going to get New York. It's going to look different because it's a different season. There is going to be a new story within this New York, but it's going to be the same New York we know from the first game, which is I like not a bad thing. It's going to look prettier. It's going to run smoother. Uh, you know, they've been using that Spider-Man tech demo to show everyone behind closed doors how quickly the PS5 can run. So this is probably going to be a great launch game. It just feels like this is not the opening salvo that it needed they kind of they kind of buried the lead there i feel like maybe they should have swapped horizon with spider-man in that in that presentation like obviously saving the best for last is always you know very well and good but yeah it's 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 also worth talking about is like we we compare this to you know existing sort of expansions and and add-ons and stuff but with open world games it's so tricky to how that gets integrated Mm. um like you look at um you look at infamous first light and that was like totally a standalone thing. And then you look at, uh, I don't know, like Witcher did one, like one expansion that was set on the existing overworld map. And then another one that was like an entirely new location. Skyrim's DLC was like, sometimes it's like, you can have a house with orphans that live in it. And sometimes you can go to another place that was in Morrowind or whatever. Like there was, it's, it's, it's weird to try to be like, we're going to add an existing, like they didn't, they weren't like, Hey, we've, we're added Queens as DLC. They're like, here's a new story. It's a new season. But like, it, I'm guessing you're going to open this game up and there's going to be, you know, start Spider-Man or start Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, I don't I don't even know if that's the case. I wonder if it is almost just like this new game, but in the world. Like them saying standalone to me implies we'll probably also get a Spider-Man remaster down the line. And then they'll maybe like do a bundle pack or something. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that changes them the price point, if this is then like a $40 offering, which doesn't... Yeah. You know, Mark the quality, but it gives you a sense of the scope of it. Um, so with the Ratchet and Clank game was forty. When they did, um, when they did PS3. Last of Us Left Behind, that was originally on PS3, correct? Yes, the DLC was available on PS3. And then when Last oh, yeah. of when Last of Us came to PS4, it included that in the in it as like a bundle. Yeah, yes, yeah, it, yeah. Um, and so my my guess is we're going to get. Uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales at launch as its own thing, whether it's $30, $40, $60, whatever, because we really don't know what the scope of the campaign is going to be. But yeah, Max, you bring up the good point of like, it's in an existing world. We know how side quests work in that world. We know how like random encounters work. Are they all just going to be the same? Are they adding a bunch of new side quests to fill out that world? Because otherwise New York is going to feel kind of empty if there's not the Mm -hmm. same amount of side content. Are they going to have a bunch of new ones? Are they saving that stuff for the next Spider-Man? Because like, there's obviously a lot of hanging threads from Peter's story 
that will presumably get addressed. But um, and the, and the know, crazy I, thing is, like, <laughs> none of these questions needed to come up right now, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, all they had to do is out the gate say this is a standalone spinoff, not a Spider-Man two, and all they had to do was say that. Or even just the first part of it, and people would immediately just be excited for it. And I'm still excited for it, but like it's it's exactly what Max said, which is now we're all questioning it, and now we're all asking these questions when we were previously the day of just excited for this game. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's such a strange place for I, I think a game that especially because the whole uh, main Beyond crew was watching the show together. I think when that came on screen, we were all like, oh, we're taking the show seriously. Like Sony is right. all in. We're all in. And yeah, if they had just come out and said, hey, it's a standalone spinoff or something like that, I would have been like, okay, well, I'm excited for Spider-Man 2. It makes sense. That's not a launch title. This will probably still be really fun. But yeah, like you were saying, it just now raises inherently a lot of questions about what the game will be that they now have to answer in that first preview beat, presumably we'll get before launch rather than kind of showing what they want of the game. It, It just changes the perspective we go in with. Um, it's a a strange downer note for what was either uh, otherwise a pretty cool reveal from that show. Um, I did want to, uh, since Tom, we have you on the show now, I do want to ask before we move on to the next update that came out after that show, what was sort of like the, the best or like biggest reveal for you? Because you were helping us with news on the show. You were writing a wrap-up article. Um, so everything was coming in so quick for you to have to cover, but like what excited <laughs> you the most from what you saw? Um, bug snacks? <laughs> No, uh, but everyone's crazy about Bugs Max. I, I, I think that game looks cool. Uh, I really was excited about the new Heart Machine game, although that wasn't like a proper brand new sort of thing. Um, Miles Morales really excited me. Horizon Zero Dawn really excited me. I was a big fan of the way that the system looked. Uh, I know that that is contentious with some people, but like I'm, I'm really into it. Um, I was really yeah, happy that they, <laughs> I, I was really happy that they showed it right like i was not expecting that um yeah it was it was just like a really fun hype like it was a hype show like it just had like even the smaller things that didn't really excite me that much were still cool <laughs> and we're still like neat to see i'm glad we're getting more info about death loop like i was really glad to see that um yeah I, honestly it was just like a there there wasn't really one big standout moment cuz i just like i just really enjoyed it yeah, I, I really appreciate like having a few more days to reflect on it. And Max, let me know how you feel now that we're a few more days out. But I, I liked how much new stuff there was. Like, yes, it was Ratchet and Spider-Man and Horizon um, and a couple games we had known about uh, already, like Deathloop. But it, it just felt like so many new franchises and new series. And like that is what really excites me about going into a new gen is that we can kind of like let some baggage of this generation go and start fresh with some things. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of cool stuff to unpack there. Um, I was initially like really lukewarm about Bug Snacks, and upon <laughs> rewatching it and realizing how like like I, I think at, at a glance I was like, oh, this is a kid, this is, this is kid stuff, and then I like watched closer and was like, this is kind of actually upsetting. It's really weird, and, <laughs> uh, and then it's also it's young horses who did Octodad, and those guys are those yeah. guys are awesome. So I'm like, yeah, I want to see what they're up to. I think it's gonna be. I, like I have no like I, one of the artists posted like what the inspirations were for the game, and it was like. Pokemon Snap, Ape Escape, Dark Cloud, and Viva Pinata. Uh, and Viva Pinata. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's a that's a candy smoothie right there. That's a lot of that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's, a nice, rope. 
Viva Pinata is a game that like I cannot believe no one has ripped off in all in since the second one came out, right? Like Viva Pinata was such a cool, weird game. And if they're telling me that this game is like kind of Viva Pinata-ish, like I'm awesome, great, more of that. I mean, I wish that more developers were just transparent about that to be like, hey, this isn't what we're trying to do, but this is what inspired us. You know, like to be like, right. I, I think a lot of bigger publishers are like terrified of being accused of ripping stuff off. But, you know, games are so, they're so iterative that like that's that's bound to happen inevitably. It's all oh, you have the jump button. Did you rip off the Mario? How dare you? Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that, um, that was my biggest good. critique of The Last of Us. That yeah. Ripped off Mario with the jump button. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Max, go ahead. Uh, but no, like, I, I don't know. That's the kind of transparency you get from from indie devs that you don't necessarily get from something that's filtered through, like, a big, you know, marketing mouthpiece. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about this. Uh, I wonder how many of these games we're hyped on right now, but we're going to either they will evaporate or they will t- go undergo so many weird transformations or they will never materialize. Um, that Capcom one, what's it called? Oh, yeah. Promata or Promatica? Pro- Pragmatica. 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 I think so. Um, I was. I got that confused with the one that was like rear end, rear engines, or rear endurance, or whatever. Like it was one of those. Uh, Returnal. Returnal. There we go. Yeah, Yeah. one of those other portmanteaus. Um, But no, not a great show for names. Yeah. No, they they never are. But Pragmatica, like I, it looks cool. It looks like it kind of weirdly reminded me of something between like Vanquish and Death Stranding. But I also yeah. immediately got vibes from from deep down, which was that oh, yeah. Capcom game that just never happened. And I mean, same goes with uh, with the Square project, which they're like, yeah, coming in question marks. And it's like, guys, like maybe keep it in the oven a little bit longer because, <laughs> you know, like after the, the, the you know, well, it's actually no, it's still an interminable wait for Final Fantasy seven because we only got a chunk of it. Like they, they don't have <laughs> the best track record for actually delivering on stuff that they show up within a decade of it getting announced so yeah those two absolutely felt like deep downs of the show i hope they both happen because they both had like really interesting cool tone piece poem uh or mm-hmm. tone poem uh trailers but yeah i had that feeling of like maybe we'll see those games returnal despite the name like i love housemark so hopefully that turns out to be just like in their vein but a, a little flashier is i think kind of what we're seeing there you know uh, the big thing oh uh, well, i was gonna say thanks <laughs> You wanted rock, paper, scissors? Um, <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, we, we've seen this shift where, like, developing uh, AAA games is so expensive that why would you, like, why would you make it, why would you do first-party exclusives? Or why would you, like, it's, I think that that's, I, I, I felt like this was this was oddly lacking. And if were this a part of an E3 showcase like we're used to, I feel like it would have been, oh, here's a teaser for a new Ubisoft game. Find out more at Ubisoft's press conference in just a few hours. But we don't have that. Uh, and because of that, I think that like it, it it felt like oddly absent of familiar IP, just because I th- I think that all the like third party IP holders are kind of like playing things closer to their chest and kind of doing these you know in house reveals. And I'm sure that Microsoft will cart out a bunch of stuff, but like Ubisoft has their thing, uh, Square has their their thing, EA has their thing. Uh, no word from Bethesda, but like it it, it just it seems like. You know, in a, a, a few years ago, in addition to this being an event held in a massive studio and or uh, you know a theater and a press conference attached to E3, I think it would have had a lot more like, uh, you know, like in addition to stuff like GTA Five coming to PlayStation Five, it would be a more more stuff like that of like, hey, remember this? It's back. 
yeah, the the prominent third party publisher side definitely felt lacking, and I think it was good then that we got to see so many smaller games that we might not have as a result. Um, but yeah, it is funny with everything so spread out now. It's like, of course, we're not going to get the EA reveals because they're happening a week and a half later. Ubisoft is happening a month later. Um, Bethesda did show up with uh, Death Loop and Ghostwire Tokyo, but Starfield and Elder Scrolls are probably half a decade oh, yeah. away. You know, they weren't going to show those here again. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was an interesting mix of like the usual suspects were gone, but as a result, I think some games that may not have gotten this showcase were there. And given that this was, I think, the biggest gaming stream on YouTube ever, it's not a bad audience to have. <laughs> um, in terms of other follow-ups that happened after the fact, I did want to mention, because we had all uh, talked about this on the stream afterward, is kind of one of the ones that stood out to us the most, um, especially visually. Uh, Little Devil Inside, which has been around as a Kickstarter game for a while. The devs apologized and are promising to change uh, racist enemy designs that people have noticed online. Um, specifically, there were tribal characters that featured dreadlocks and large lips. Uh, people have also noticed that the um, the sleeping blow dart uh, thing in their hands looks like a joint uh, to a certain extent. And so NeoStream, the developers, responded on Facebook and just flat out said racist stereotypes are not at all what was intended uh, this is a team that is in South Korea, by the way. So they said, quote, we were not aware of the stereotypical connotations and wish to apologize to anyone who may have been offended by the character design. Um, uh, their design intention was, quote, to create characters who are protectors, guardians of a particular mystic region in the world of Little Devil Inside, and that they uh, did not mean to reference any African or Afro-American human tribes while creating it. That said, they also plan to modify the design, specifically removing the dreadlocks, changing the lips, changing the skin tone and tweaking dark lower and still then we'll take further feedback and make further changes. If after that fact, there are still any issues with the character designs. And, um, you know, we've seen, I think a lot of apologies and uh, non-apology apologies in both gaming and just the entertainment world in general. And I really appreciate just like the speed and the resolve to be like, Hey, we're sorry. This we messed up. We didn't mean to, but we did. Here's what we're going to do to change it, and like actively going through the list. And they're like, and if that's still not good enough, we will continue to work on it. I like this. Feels like the exact sort of apology when you need to apologize to do. <laughs> no, that's that's how you do it. That's it's it's also like it doesn't matter if they meant to or not. They were like, oops, let's fix it. Like let's take action as opposed to being like, well, that's one interpretation, but uh, we're going to double down and just really. So good on them for, I guess, jumping on that. And I, I looked at some of the responses to this, and it was kind of nice to see. Uh, I, I feel like people were like, they they were receptive, you know? Like, normally you see this weird kind of crusade come out, and they're like, they're censoring it. They're trying to, like, change the original vision. It's like, maybe, the, I mean, like, how how art is received is like, if if they were trying to be inflammatory, I'm sure they'd be like, no, that's part of the plan. But they were like, oh, crap, that's not what we want at all. Let's, you know, back off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's easy to forget that racism doesn't always have to be intentional it, to still be racism, right? Like, if they genuinely were, like, you know, they're from South Korea, like, they maybe they genuinely didn't know the cultural implications of that, but as soon as they learned them, they were like, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, like, this was not okay, and we didn't we didn't know that, and, like, good, you know, like, just because they didn't mean offense doesn't mean it wasn't offensive, and so exactly. it's it's cool to see this response, especially with as you said, the game looking really cute and cool and, and, you know, it's, it's nice to know that this sort of black eye on it is, is getting patched up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because 
it definitely looked the most uh, one of the most visually striking and interesting games that I think a lot of us want to learn more about. So I appreciate knowing that the devs are seemingly good people who are like, yeah, let's make this better. Let's make it uh, something that it, you know, to fix these issues. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate that. I still have no idea what that game is about. I really want to play it, but like, I just love that it was like, here's like a sizzle reel of like, <laughs> Some of these look like adventure games, and some of them look like you're fighting stuff. And I have no idea what to do. You just—I guess you go to the bathroom, though. So, yeah, it looks <laughs> like a, a Bloodborne, like a Soulsborne slash uh, old British man life simulator. Like I don't know where those two meet, but I'm excited to find out how. Um, so that was definitely a cool one uh, that we'll definitely keep an eye on. And uh, big props to those devs for making that change. Uh, before we move on from the uh, game side of all the PS5 stuff, I do want to talk about uh, a few people wrote in on the YouTube version of last week's episode, uh, expressing what their favorite reveals were from the event. And since I asked for them, I want to make sure we cover. A uh, friend of the show, K-Babs, uh, of course, responded and said, so happy to, they decided to return to the PS3 storyline with Dimension Hopping rather than remake Ratchet & Clank 2 for Ratchet & Clank uh, Rift Apart which I feel would have been the less interesting take. Um, for those wondering, like Max and Brian, this is a sequel to the PS3 canon because a lot of the worlds, like the Swamp and the Pirate Base, are from the first PS3 game and not in the PS4 one, and Dimension Hopping was strongly implied by the ending of the final PS3 game into the Nexus. Uh, K-Babs is a... I'm a big Ratchet & Clank fan. K-Babs is, like, top-tier Ratchet & Clank fan, so they know what's up. Um, very excited to see more of that one, though. Um, heavy user, said the console reveal, of course. Uh, Chris said Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Uh, biggest surprise was Spider-Man, uh, even if it ends up being a $40 game. Uh, Aaron said definitely Bugsnax and the Bugsnax theme song. Lots of other good stuff, of course, but nothing as spontaneous and joyful as Bugsnax. Uh, and shout out to, it feels like I'm plugging our own stuff, but uh, our social team for getting that song stuck in my damn head by putting it over all of the other game trailers in existence, because now I can't <laughs> stop hearing it. Um, Raphael said Project Athia looked cool, and I'm definitely excited to see more of that. And uh, Gary Witta, of course, uh, who co-wrote Rogue One and uh, has been a part of many other projects, including the Telltale's The Walking Dead, uh, is leading a writing team on that. Should be really exciting to see. Uh, and Mr. Grimm says Demon Souls, because I beat Dark Souls, and I really enjoyed it. And I mostly wanted to read that, because that seems apt for someone named Mr. Grimm. Uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on, the other big PS5 thing I want to talk about <laughs> is the uh, literal big news that it seems to be a huge console. Um, so after the PlayStation 5 reveal came out, uh, people have been essentially using the disk drive and the USB port and all these little bits and pieces of the art to sort of reference match and get a rough estimate of the size of the console. Uh, and so Bo Moore, our executive tech editor, also did this on our end and used the disk drive as the exact point of reference and estimated the PS5 will have a rough dimension of 15.74 inches by 8.79 by 3.97. If you don't know what those exact sizes are, for reference, the Xbox Series X is 11.85 by 6.03 by 6.03. So its um, height is roughly um, one, uh, I want to say half, more like it's basically half of series x added on a little a little less maybe a third uh while the length of it is shorter than a series x by half but the width is larger by about three inches um it's seemingly pretty large uh much larger than a ps4 pro and an xbox one x um 
either way, this seems to be the biggest console of the last couple generations, if not in recent memory. And uh, I was wondering if, because seemingly we're all fans of the design as wacky as it is, does that change any of your uh, excitement for the console? Like, does that make you annoyed at where you're going to have to figure out where to put it on your you know, TV stand? Tom, I'll start with you. Yeah, to a certain extent. Like, I'm I'm reserving kind of, like, it makes me nervous, I guess. I'm reserving sort of outright uh, upsetness about it until I see the actual thing and we know an actual size, right? Like, because these are all estimates, and they're probably not, like, wildly far-off estimates, but they're still estimates. Um, it didn't bother me. I was like, oh, that thing's big. And then- I it didn't bother me, and then I looked over at my PS4 in my entertainment center, and was like, "Oh, that's gonna be big!" Like, just, like just in that context, I was like, "Oh, well, that may be pretty big." Um, so yeah, it could be, it could be a little annoying, but we'll have to see what the actual size is. I guess is kind of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I was like, I was oddly disappointed by this it also it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because if you're like for both of these if you're staring at the console you're probably dying in your game so stop just look at the tv (laughs) it's what it's there for put it put it behind something who cares um there was part of me that was like i can't wait to bring this thing home and like take it out of the box and be like wow it's so much smaller than i imagined but that's probably not going to be the case like it just I, i feel like the design was like mentally i was like yeah it looks pretty big and that was correct that was a a good that was a good knee-jerk reaction um i'm more i'm more skeptical on like how different the controller is gonna feel because i get the sense that that's also bigger um yeah it's it's an odd one like i i just um i'm more wary of fitting the series x in my entertainment center because like that's gonna be really tight uh that might not even fit i i just and i just got a new entertainment center this is like a this is a this is a bratty this is a bratty first world problem to have like i just bought new furniture for my gaming consoles but like you know, it's 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 like a stupid it's a stupid problem. Um, it's just it's going to be weird because this totally does. Uh, this is like it seems like it's the size of a PC. Like it's we're just at that point now where like they've they've always like and I was like, what does this remind me of? It reminds me of my friend's Alienware from two thousand seven. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it and I mean definitely it seems like the size is a result of them wanting to make sure this thing stays cool and is not right. the constant joke of a PS4 Pro sounding like a jet engine. Like that's just become <laughs> literally everyone says that now. So it's um, one of those things where I get where they're coming from. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It probably means I will keep it vertical and not really put it horizontal unless it fits under anything. Uh, just because that's a, a long area to fit horizontally, but right, yeah, I like I still like the design. Do you, do you guys like have a preference? Price aside, right now, do you have a preference on whether you're going to get disc or the discless versions? I, I would pro- like. So this is the thing: is this this answer for me is skewed a little bit just by the this job, right? Like, if I was just buying one of these for myself, I would absolutely buy the discless version um, because it is it just it looks nicer like the design looks like it was made with the discless version in mind it that that sort of bump uh for the cd drive looks fine on its side but looks really awkward to me standing up um and the discless version i think really lets the what they're going for shine a little bit better but 
we get games sometimes from developers on disc for review and stuff like that. And so like, I'm going to probably be getting the disc version just for that because like it, it, because of the added flexibility of like just this job. Um, so, so that's a little bit skewing there. I would definitely, I think I would personally go discless if I could though. Max, what about you? I am actually super torn about this. Um, Ryan McCaffrey, I think tweeted something that totally made, well, it, it both like clarified the, the choice, but also made me second guess it, which was that it, you really, it's really smart. And hopefully both, like both systems have, you know, digital only versions. Um, and then the underlying thing is like, you don't need to buy two Blu-ray players. Like that's stupid. It's, it's a weird thing that we've almost become accustomed to. We're like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I was like, I have, it, it, it's also weird. Like I have a, I have an Xbox, uh, what is it? One S which I use to watch UHD movies sometimes because I'm still on physical media for watching movies. But like, I would prefer to just use the PlayStation because I'm on that more often, but that doesn't play freaking 4K Blu-rays, which is baffling. Yeah. So this is part of me where it's like, well, I already have a UHD Blu-ray player in the Xbox, but presumably at some point I will upgrade that or trade that in. So I I should get the disc one because maybe I want to watch movies on my PlayStation because it's got that cute little remote. And apparently it does cool stuff with sound. Maybe that plays into that. I don't know. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how the UI is. Like, is the UI good enough that it's going to be really like just snappy to get right into a Blu-ray? And then it, it's just like, it's a stupid, it's a stupid thing to be like doing mental gymnastics about to be like, ah, do I need the, which, which machine does the play the physical movies from the days of yore? I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm going to go, no, with, I, I think I'm going to go with physical and then try to get a digital Xbox at some point, if that's a thing. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean because, yeah, my, my big reason for wanting to get the disc version is to play 4K Blu-rays, but if there's, I don't know, for some reason a, like, $200 difference or, like, the digital version comes with double the terabyte space, like, that that starts to become more appealing to me than yeah. 4K Blu-rays, especially if I can stream 4K movies. Um, that starts to become less of an issue. But um, speaking of the UI, I forgot to put this on the run of show, but I did want to quickly mention, uh, interestingly, a PlayStation VP of UX design on LinkedIn, of course, where you break all news, uh, had answered some questions about the PS5 and has since deleted those answers. So perhaps some of this doesn't 100% hold, or perhaps they weren't supposed to be answering these questions. Uh, Either way, uh, that VP of UX design said, about the UI, quote, it's a very interesting evolution of the OS. As it's UI, it's practical first, but it's a whole new visual language and a complete re-architecting of the user interface. Uh, They called it, quote, more subtle than flashy, but no pixel is untouched, so you won't have dead pixels, I guess, in the UI. I would assume they would want to use all the pixels. But uh, anyway, we, we saw like a very brief look at the startup of the PS5 during the conference, which snuck by me. I didn't see it at first when it was in there. Um, yeah. yeah, Max, no, I, I totally missed it on first look. I'll share it with you after. But essentially what everyone believes is the like startup screen uh, for like press the PlayStation button on your controller was in there. Um mm. But anyway, do you, do you guys like the PS4 UI design? Are you hoping for a big redesign? Like, what what do you want out of the PS5's UI? Well, well, first of all, I'd say it's really, this is just real quick, really interesting to hear at the same time as we're hearing from, I think we heard also recently in the last week or, week or two that the Xbox Series X UI and dashboard was going to be identical, essentially, yeah. to the Xbox One. Why? I hate it. I really it's don't. terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's, Look, it's, I will. 
I, I bring this up mainly because it's really interesting because it continues with something we've mentioned a ton of times on this show, which is Microsoft is presenting this as basically an upgrade or the next step of what they're doing and keeping a lot of things the same. And PlayStation is saying, this is a new generation. Everything is changing. And you, like in the console design, in the controller design, in the UI, like every step of the way, Sony is going one direction and Microsoft is going the other. And it's so clear to see that, which is really, really interesting. Um, on the UI changing specifically, I, like, y'all, I'm not going to lie. I care so little about console <laughs> UIs. Like, there's, the Switch has problems, and I don't care. The PS4 has problems, and I don't care. Like, I spend so little time in my console UIs. I just, like, as long as I can get to the games and the apps easily, I don't mind what they look like. And that's just like, maybe I imagine that's an unpopular opinion, like (laughs) an unpopular take on that, but like they can do whatever they want. As long as it's easy for me to like quickly get to my games. Like I really don't care what they do. (laughs) That's an extremely fair point. Like, again, like I said, with consoles, if you're staring at the, at the home screen UI, you suck at the games because you could be playing them instead. But I I don't know. Like I really like the, the, the PS4 UI. I think it's a, super smart and clean and i they finally added you know folders and customization in that sense so like that's that's good microsoft i straight up have like purchased games and been like where is it where did it go <laughs> like yeah. i bought like i bought skate 3 for 360 and i was like i'll play this cuz it's backwards compatible and because it was like a th- like a 360 game it went in some entirely different section of the shop and i was like I, I think I had to Google how to find it. Like it was really, really disappointing. Like the the thing I don't like about the Xbox design. It's funny because I was on uh, News Games and More yesterday uh, before recording, and everyone else on the show was like, "Yeah, I love the Xbox UI." And it's just funny how like if you're used to a thing, it becomes the thing you like. And they're like, "Yeah, the PS4 design. I haven't used it much, but I don't like it." it it's that clearly like if you get used to it for so long, it works. But yeah, the Xbox UI, it like nests page after page after page and then you have to keep backing out of things and then i lo- like i constantly lose my place for where a game is or where the store is and it just it, the ps4 ui definitely has issues and it runs poorly sometimes but i know where everything is pretty easily um so i'm curious what they're going to do to change it up when i think it works pretty well right now I'm also, yeah i'm like where i'm wary about that because i really I, I not to be the old guy who's like don't change the thing but like What's wrong with the, the PS4 UI? Like, I hope that it's one of those things where, like, yeah, it's it's immediately recognizable and you can navigate it smoothly. But if they do some some nonsense where, like, oh, yeah, we changed two of the buttons around, so you're going to constantly open up the, you know, the, the screen capture mode gallery or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's hopefully they keep it simple. I'd rather something simple and that they add features to over time, especially when you get a new console. I just kind of want to be able to jump into the games and see what's new. Um, anyway, moving on from all of that PlayStation 5 talk, I do want to talk about something that's coming to this generation that got announced this week, and we'll probably see much more of right after the show airs, because that's how Beyond works. Uh, but EA formally announced after a series of leaks on both the PlayStation Store a few months ago and the Microsoft Store a few days ago, Star Wars Squadrons, which is a first-person space dogfighting game set after the events of Return of the Jedi. Uh, it's coming to PS4, Xbox One, and PC via Origin, Steam, and the Epic Game Store. It'll only be $40, uh, it's not 60 and it will be released on October 2nd. Uh, it's being developed by Motive Studios, who of course worked on the single-player story and worked uh, with DICE at large on Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, Motive is in uh, 
the studio, it will include both a single player story and multiplayer modes with crossplay support, uh, and will also be playable in VR on PSVR as well as PC VR modes. Um, there will be more of the game shown at the EA Play Live uh, showcase on June 18th. But just to give a quick rundown of it, uh, the single player story mode is set after the Battle of Endor and the destruction of the second Death Star. Uh, alternating between two customizable pilots, the story will feature brand new characters and cameos like Hera, who was in Star Wars Rebels and you see in the trailer. Uh, the two pilots will be shown the essentially different sides of the conflict, including one who flies for the New Republic's Vanguard Squadron, which is also in the Alphabet Squadron Star Wars novel. So if you want more info on them, go read that as well as the Galactic Empire's Titan Squadron. Uh, I can get into a lot more details of this, but of course, Max, what did you think of this announcement? Uh, so full disclosure on two counts. Yeah. One, uh, this is being written by Mitch Dyer, who's a good friend of mine, as well as Walt Williams. The two of them also worked on uh, the Star Wars Battlefront Two campaign. Um, uh, I will also say up front that I've, I've never cared for dogfighting stuff in Star Wars. <laughs> like, I think it's, it's what, like, I just never got into Xbox or like, what am I saying? X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. Um, it's, it's cool. I like the ships, but there's something to me that's sort of like detached about being in a cockpit versus controlling a character. Um, but I do like the amount of sort of characters they've been showing in this trailer. Like, I think it's cool. There's like, you know, you used to get a shot of one squadron and there's like a Trandoshan in there. And I was like, okay, that'd be, could be a dinosaur spacesuit lizard. You know, that sounds like a good time. <laughs> Uh, the VR stuff sounds incredibly cool because we got that uh, that Battlefront demo, which was like just zipping around in an X-Wing for the hell of it. And then we didn't hear a peep after that, which was <laughs> infuriating. Uh, anybody who has a PSVR who hasn't checked that out, go download it. It's awesome. Uh, it's free, I believe. Um, but yeah, like the fact that we're getting a full-fledged play an entire s- space fighter game in, in virtual reality is is pretty awesome. Uh, and then I think that the 5v5 thing is really smart because like one of the worst things with multiplayer games is, is waiting for your lobby to populate and like waiting for people to play with you. And if, if it just takes nine other people, that shouldn't be a big of a deal. Well, and they're, they sound seemingly they're almost going the, this word is overused MOBA route, uh, MOBA inspired route, hero shooter inspired route, whatever you want to call it at this point of it's 5v5. There's going to be probably different classes of ships, right? You're going to be able to take on different roles within each fight. So there's that sort of the bones of that in there. Um, I'm really looking forward to this because I love, I love Star Wars. Like Rogue Squadron was one of my favorite games. Like I, I when I was younger, I, I really liked that type of game. Um, additionally, I've played space VR dogfighting games before in VR. Like I've played Elite Dangerous in VR. I've played Ace Combat seven in vr although that wasn't in space and also was a much smaller kind of mode rather than the whole campaign and like dogfighting and aerial dogfighting in vr is so so fun if it's done right it can really make you sick if it's done wrong but it when it like when it clicks it is just chef kiss good like there's nothing better than like going towards somebody and then like they fly like flip and fly over your head and you literally look up to track them like with your head rather than like just having to move the control stick like that experience is so cool and it'll sell anyone on vr um so i'm excited for that i'm really interested specifically in the story setting for this because this is the second ea motive star wars campaign in a row that is set directly after the battle of endor 
because that's what Battlefront 2's campaign was, was the mm-hmm. first chapter one of it was the Battle of Endor, and then everything is like the fallout after it. So it's really interesting to me that pretty much the same team is making another Star Wars campaign set in the exact same era. And I don't think that's like a bad thing necessarily at all, because um, it's fertile ground. But like, it's just, it's just, I was very surprised to hear they were going right back to that spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I imagine like they work with the story group ex- extensively and every, like the, the weird thing about Star Wars is that it all, all, all the T's and I's have to be dotted and crossed respectively right. across medium, which is a, like, I don't think anything else really does that where it's like a, entirely a cohesive, like, like it is a, it is a really fleshed out canon in that sense. Um, but I imagine that after having sort of understood what sort of what's, what the current events in the galaxy are in, you know, six years after Jedi or after Endor or whatever. Um, no, I'm thinking um, Mandalorian is six years after. Um, but yeah, Battlefront 2, if you've, if you've already worked with a story group and like knowing who's doing what, what's happening, sort of what the state of the galaxy is in this exact time frame, it's probably cuts out of a lot of, a, a lot of nonsense to just be like, well, let's stay in this corner of, or this, this chunk of time right here. Um, I also, I've heard that they, story group will just sort of have certain areas that are off limits not, or not like <laughs> off limits, off limits, but basically they're like, if you went to them and you were like, yeah, I want to do uh, I want to do a KOTOR prequel. They're like, no, we're not, we're not going there yet. You know, which is, <laughs> which is honestly, I think pretty good. Like, I think they're just now in the comics starting to explore what's, um, what's happening after empire, I think, or around empire, but basically like they, they were very careful to sort of be like, we're rebuilding out this new canon, And so like, the problem with the expanded universe was that it just kind of like, it just got over escalated. Like everybody was just going every which way. And there's like, there's tons of stuff that doesn't line up because, you know, Kevin J Anderson was like, yeah, I'm going to write about what's happening with the young Jedi Knights. And Timothy's on is like, and this is what happened when the, you know, Han and Leia had twins. And it's like, you gotta, like, there wasn't anybody like checking all these things off. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just, I, I mean, that's a, that's a period that I'm like, again, I'm also sort of whatever about that, you know, like there's no, there's not really a ton of intrigue to me. Whereas like um, looking at Jedi fallen order, that was like, this is set squarely in the dark times. You don't know what the hell is happening right now. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see more from that era. I think for that reason, because like as much as I love Jedi fallen order three to between three and four is where we've seen a lot of stories be told with Jedi, with uh, rebels, um, even with clone wars, the end of that show, like, things have explored between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope a lot, whereas between 6 and 7 has been Battlefront 2 and Mando right now, and that's about it. Um, and, and yeah, like Max, you were saying, The High Republic, which I think is starting end of this year or early next year, I think it got delayed a little bit, is the first time they're going to like a new time period in the new canon. So hopefully that will open the door to games also doing that, because I think that could be really fun. Um, but yeah, I think that, I'm excited that this is a like $40 experience, it seems like they, they get the scope of it. Uh, there won't be microtransactions. Obviously, they have learned their lesson when it comes to that on the EA side of things. Um, it seems to be one of those things where uh, it's not coming to next gen, at least it's not announced yet. Uh, it, it feels like they're probably working on next gen Star Wars games if EA still holds on to the license. Uh, and this is something to kind of like cap off the end of the generation with. Yeah, we already have a date on this, right? It's like October something, uh, October second. October second, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's cool that we already have a date, and it's what four months away. That's I, I, yeah. I'm, I dig that for sure. Oh, I love those types of announcements. Um, that that's been the ongoing thing with like 
the Batman game never gets announced, is that just going to be like revealed in August and out in October? Because that right. feels like where we're getting to at that. Um, that would be nice. But, yeah. I, after all <laughs> I mean, these logo teases. We've had so many like, I, I like that would be my, that would be my favorite thing. If that is the, the, the newest addition to next gen, if publishers just shut the hell up until it was like closer to release. Just things <laughs> like, like, it's been it's been over eight years since they announced Cyberpunk. Like, I still haven't played that friggin' game. Like, I'm I'm totally fine if they're like, you know, pulling a Bethesda and doing, you know, Fallout Four available this fall. Here's a mobile game. We'll see you in three months. And just like piecing out, and you're like, oh, there it is. That's it. But who needs SSDs when you have immediate announcements? Better marketing. That's what I want. More forty dollar <laughs> games available now. Back of the box PS Five uh, bullet point. Better marketing. Uh, anyway, moving on, before we wrap up, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, what we're playing. Uh, Tom, what have you been up to recently? Not much, sadly. Um, I've been having, I've been, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I've been struggling with uh, like forearm tendonitis sort of thing. So I've been pulling back on games, but I am still playing Persona 5 Royal uh, with my significant other. We play that together, so it's easy to just have her drive um, and I'm approaching the end of that. No spoilers or anything. I'm in mid-November right now. So I think we've got around 90 hours in it. I never thought I would beat the first one, nor did I think I would beat it, or the original, nor did I think I'd beat it again. So, like, I'm really still loving that. Uh, I also did want to give a quick shout-out to a game that just came out on Steam Early Access, but is coming to PlayStation eventually, um, called Hard Space Shipbreaker which is like, Max, you might actually be into this game if you haven't heard of it. But like, I've heard it, of it, yeah. Yeah, we had, we had it on Summer of Gaming at one point, and I just got to play some of it recently because it just came out on Early Access on Steam. And it's just such a weird, like, I'm so into it. The concept is literally you just work in, like, a spaceship salvage yard, and you're given a spaceship and, like, a laser gun to cut it up, and you just go through and say okay this panel is made of aluminum and you cut that out of the frame and you throw it in the furnace and then you're like all right here's some fuel and you like siphon that out and throw it into a different container and like that's basically the whole game is you just salvage spaceships and it's super super simple and like wonderfully zen it has the same sort of appeal as like truck simulators but outer space and i'm very yeah, that, it. <laughs> I, I love the idea of doing stuff in space that isn't just like shooting lasers and aliens and stuff. I mean, right. you're still shooting lasers, but the idea that it's like, you have a you have a blue-collar job in outer space. That's like, that's kind of rad. Um, yeah. So that I doesn't also, have a place to date yet, but uh, look forward to it. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that immediately gets my attention. What I would I would love a really realistic firefighter game. Like, mm. I feel like we there's all this stuff that we we sort of take for granted in terms of what you can do with games. And it's obviously, it's gotten so much easier to do stuff with realistic physics or with like, you know, weird stuff like fire or water, but now it's like kind of just, it's, it's technically very feasible. And we're also, we're just so accustomed to be like, yeah, no, there's a, you, you jump and shoot the gun. Like, because that's what it's easiest to make a game about. And it's like, well, what about like, I'm not saying it has to be nonviolent. I'm just saying like, make, make the violence weirder, like make a lumberjack game where I can get crushed by trees. Like that sounds like fun as hell. <laughs> there, there is a game on steam called Ember E M B R. That's basically, uh, that one's basically like overcooked, but firefighters. Oh yeah, I had my eye on this. So that one doesn't have a PlayStation date yet. That's also an ember is also a wearable. <laughs> that's some sort of okay. That's not helpful at all. <laughs> Max, what have you been playing? 
Um, I haven't been playing much because we've been doing so much stuff uh, for work that involves staring at a screen that when I don't would do that, I'm like, I need to read a book or, you know, like maybe watch a movie, but I've just been kind of, kind of tuned out. Um, I've been playing Yakuza 3, which is, sorry not to be the guy who's just playing a different Yakuza game all the time, but I am. <laughs> um, but Yakuza 3 is in the, it's in the remastered collection and it's the, I think it is technically the oldest yakuza game i've played because i played the modern remakes of one and two and then like zero was a was a very late ps3 game that got ported over but three is like a pretty standard sort of up like up res remaster type situation and who boy it is rough going back to an early ps3 game like a 10 year old game is like it's it's definitely you know, it's it's weird to be like, like to me, I'm still like, yeah, 2009, that's recent. And then it's like, in terms of video games, like, hell no, that's not at all. So um, much has happened. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked in uh, Resident Evil 7 is $10 on PSN. So I'm just going to buy that right now so that I don't have an excuse to have not played the scary game. It's <laughs> a good idea. Uh, and I have been playing a game for review that I can't talk about yet, but you can look forward to that review at some point in the future. Uh, and I also recently started Maneater, uh, and I am only like two hours in, but that game is just delightfully silly and dumb uh, in the best ways. Uh, I, I did not expect to like it as much as I have been, but the fact that it's just the legit like RPG as a shark has been really fun. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to keep going with that one. But uh, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us on episode 651. Uh, thank you to Tom, and thank you to Max for uh, joining me on this episode. And thank you to Red, our producer, uh, for sitting around and listening to us talk for the last hour. Uh, if you want to find us off of IGN and youtube.com slash IGN and youtube.com slash IGN beyond, you can go to uh, Twitter. We're all there. I'm at Jam Dornbush. Tom is at Tom R. Marks, though he might be a little quiet for the time being, given his unfortunate tendonitis. Uh, and Max is at Max Scoville. Uh, you can also check out all of our huge Summer of Gaming content that has been going and will continue to go on for quite some time uh, as June rolls on. So please check in for all the live streams, the interviews, the exclusives, everything that's going on has been such a huge wide team effort for all of IGN. So we hope you've been enjoying it and we hope you'll enjoy what we have in store for you in the days to come. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening and or watching this episode of Beyond. Remember, you can write in to beyond at IGN.com with your memory cards, your that one things, or any listener or viewer questions that you may have, and we'll read them on weeks to come. But otherwise, thank you so much for listening and watching. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, Beyond. 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 <laughs>